It's getting close to uh, final exam time for those of you in college. And do you have final exams in high school? Oh, terrible. I went to a high school that was really easy. So when I went to college, I was really shocked. I didn't even know what a syllabus was when I got to college, yeah. But they smarted me up real quick. (laughs) These are some answers, real answers on science tests by children. Name the four seasons. Salt, pepper, mustard, and vinegar. (laughs) Explain one of the processes by which water can be made safe to drink. Flirtation. Flirtation makes water safe to drink because it removes large pollutants like grit, sand, dead sheep, and canoeists. How is dew formed? How is dew formed? The sun shines down on leaves and makes them perspire. (laughs) Hugh, you'll appreciate this one, being a dairy farmer in your youth. How can you delay milk turning sour? Keep it in the cow. (laughs) Of course. What happens to your body as you age? When you get old, so do your bowels, and you get intercontinental. (laughs) Name a major disease associated with cigarettes. Premature death. <laughs> That's the big one. <laughs> one of, this is one of my favorites here. How are the main parts of the body categorized? And the example given is like abdomen. How are the main parts of the body categorized? The body is consisted into three parts <laughs> the brainium, <laughs> the borax, And the abdominal cavity. The brainium contains the brain. The borax contains the hearts and lungs. The heart and lungs. And the abdominal cavity (laughs) contains the five bowels. (laughs) A-E-I-O-N-U. What does varicose mean? Varicose. One word answer. Nearby. (laughs) Give the meaning of the term cesarean section. The cesarean section is a district in Rome. And finally, what does the word benign mean? The word benign. Benign is what you will be after you be eight. <laughs> mm. 
I guess we shouldn't be too hard on the kids. We probably didn't know all the answers to those questions either. Uh, Science is a challenging subject for many people. Some people find math to be difficult. I loved math and chemistry, uh, but I didn't enjoy English very much. Can you tell? (laughs) I don't know. God is going to challenge us today in regard to one of the harder subjects in the school of Christianity, and it's the subject of contentment. Please follow as I read from Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is going to teach us this truth of contentment through his own circumstances. And that's why the first thing that we understand is this. Contentment is not the absence of need. Contentment is not the absence of need. Uh, Look at verse 16, which we did not read. We'll get to it next week. But the Apostle Paul, in telling the Colossians, or excuse me, in telling the Philippians, thank you for the gift you've sent, he says, Once and again, you sent for my necessities. The Apostle Paul wasn't like a televangelist today living in the lap of luxury. He was was talking about necessities. And then if you look in verse 12, he talks about being abased or to be humbled. We'll we'll look at that in a minute. But uh, he, he says, you have given to my necessities. The necessities that Paul was talking about was his own support during house arrest. Look at this verse from Acts 28. Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. Now we're looking at that and comparing that to jail and thinking, well, that's not too bad. You get to live in a rented house instead of... Uh, being in a prison, and that certainly would be better. We know from other scripture, though, that while he was under house arrest, he was chained to a guard, which means he couldn't work. Any of you know what it's like to try to pay the rent when you're not working? Or to feed yourself when you're not working? The Apostle Paul was when he was writing this, was living in a situation in which he had obligations to pay both his own food and rent and had no source of income. You know, in the past, he had a trade which was tent making. I mean, literally, we have a missionary term today called tent making, which is when a person goes to a foreign country and and has a job to support themselves while they do the mission work based on the Apostle Paul's example. Because he would go into a town and find the tent-making group and say, can you use an extra hand? And he would work at his trade, and he would preach as well. And he supported himself many times. But he can't do that now. He is kept from supporting himself, so he has obligations, and he has the need to eat, but he's got no money. Now, I know that jail food 
today is not that great. I spent a night in jail voluntarily, and they gave me a little sack lunch, and it was really lousy. But it was something. The Apostle Paul has nothing. Look at verse 12. In verse 12, he says, look at the end of it. I know what it's like to suffer need. I think the word necessities is talking about normal expenses, and I think the word suffer need is an emphasis where he's saying, I know what it's like to not have dinner. Not just times when he was looking for food money, but times when he was hungry, not knowing where his next meal would come. And in the midst of that, he writes, verse 11, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Contentment not, is not the absence of need. Number two, contentment is not based on predictability of life. <clears throat> not based on predictability of life. Look at verse 12. He, he uses uh, two different phrases here to describe ups and downs. I know how to be abased, and then I know how to abound. The word abased in the uh, New King James follows the King James. The NIV says, I know how to be in need, and then I know how to be full, to, to abound. The word for abased or the word for to be in need literally means to be made low. Our idea of humility is basically some things are low and some things are high. Uh, this is that famous ship that continues to be talked about. There were people, uh, you know, and, and it's still that way today, of course. You have various decks, and depending on how much money you're willing to spend... You get higher up. On this ship, they had a class of, 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 uh, a class of where you slept called steerage. You know what that means, right? That means way down here somewhere, maybe below the waterline for all I know, they had the mechanical parts of the boat. And the and the the linkage the the linkage that went from the captain all the way down to where they steered the boat and way down there that's where Leonard DiCaprio had to stay. <laughs> that's where the poor people were. They were humble. They were low. The rich people were high. And the Apostle Paul makes makes reference to our imagery of low and high. He says, I know what it's like to be in steerage class. And he says, I know what it's like to be full. The word for full is, is a word used of feeding animals. The idea you put a bunch of feet out and they get full. He says, I know what both of those are like. Do you like it when your life goes from Steerage to first class, back to steerage, back to first class. Most of us say, just, just even. That'll be fine, thank you. I don't have to be first class, so I don't want to be low, just kind of even. We like our lives to be predictable, but nobody ever said the normal pattern of the Christian life is one long, smooth highway. Our society is committed to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, for every moment of every day. But this state of bliss 
is not a reality. It's a myth. It's something pursued, but it can never be gained. Here's the reality for the Christian. Jesus had just talked before these verses about how a certain rich man needed to give up everything he had and come follow Christ. And so Peter pipes up and he says, well, see, we have left all and followed you. He's kind of saying, what do we get? So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father, mother, wife, children, or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold, a blessing now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. You see, the health and wealth Preachers on TV love the beginning of that verse, but they don't refer to the end of that verse too much. God says, yes, I intend to bless you. And he says, if I ask you to give things up for me. See, now God doesn't always ask us to give up a house or a father, mother, brother, sister, wife. He doesn't always ask us to give that up, but he says, if I ask you to give that up and you give that up, I'm going to pay you back a hundredfold but it's going to come with difficulties. The normal pattern of the Christian life involves blessing and difficulty. That's what we see in the Apostle Paul's life. I think you could talk to anybody here who's been living for the Lord seriously for a number of years, and they'll say, absolutely, that is the norm. And so contentment is not based on predictability. Contentment is not when I look forward and I could say, everything is smooth sailing from here, I'm content. No, that's not what the Apostle Paul was. The Apostle Paul was at a point in life where he didn't know if he'd live or die. He didn't know if he'd eat the next day. He was, it was completely unpredictable. The only way it's possible to be content in this kind of situation is if contentment is resting on God's provision. God's provision. Our discontent often is not about the absolute necessities of life. It's more about the desires of life. Oh God, all my old cell phone does is make phone calls. I need a better one. One that connects to the internet. Oh God, my car doesn't look that good anymore. I need a new one. Oh God, our house isn't big enough. I need a better one. I need a better job. Oh God, why haven't you removed the problems of my life? Contentment is when we rest in God's provision. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. When you stop and, and, and ask yourself, what's my level of contentment, do you say, I have food and clothing. I'm content. Ah, most of us don't really stop there because we have other things that we want. And yet God has said, I'm going to provide for you in my way, in my time, in my amount. I heard a man 
who was the director of a Christian ministry, complain about how the funding for the ministry came in. Now, it was coming in. It just wasn't coming in the way he thought it should. And I was on the board of that organization, and I, and I just thought to myself, well, thank God it comes in. Contentment means being satisfied with God's provision, whatever it is. Job in the Old Testament was a man who was exceptionally righteous and exceptionally wealthy. Job 1.3 says, this man was greatest of all the people in the East. He, in God's opinion, the greatest man. And God allowed Satan to attack him by taking away all of his valuable livestock, taking the lives of his children and their families, and giving him boils, the scripture says, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And this was how Job responded. Then Job arose, tore his clothes. That was a sign of, that was a sign of grief. Tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. Which I would demonstrate from you if I was physically able to do so. But he got down and worshipped God. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Naked I came, and naked I'll go. The question is not if God has provided for us, but whether we will accept his provision and rest in it until he provides something more or different. Now the Apostle Paul right here is writing to say thank you for one of those high spots in his life. Because the Philippians had sent an offering to him, and so now he knew where the rent was coming from, and he knew where the food was coming from. And so right at the moment when he's writing, he's, he's physically in, uh, enjoying life because he's at a high spot, not a low spot. But the question is, no matter whether it's high or low, are we going to say the Lord has provided? The Lord has provided. Which brings us to the recognition that God's provision for us is not arbitrary, but according to his purposes. That's why contentment must result from accepting God's purposes in our lives and in how he chooses to use us in his world. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore, therefore we do not lose heart even though our outward man is perishing. Even though our outward man is perishing. The Apostle Paul was saying, look, I I know there's times when life is physically hard. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things that are seen, but we look at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Why was Paul in jail? Why was he in jail? He was in jail because he was hated for preaching Christ. 
Okay? Why was Paul preaching Christ? Because he loved the Lord and he wanted other people to know him. Why did God allow Paul to be arrested? I mean, we would obviously look and say, couldn't God have kept him out of jail? Absolutely. When he was in jail, God sometimes got him out. Why couldn't he have done that this time? Why did God allow Paul to be arrested? So soldiers and bureaucrats would get saved. We have direct evidence of that in this book. God said, Paul, I know you want to minister at Rome. I know you love me and you want other people to know me. There's some people who really need to know you, and I'm going to send you over there. Although Paul didn't understand that because God didn't tell him all those things. But when he got there, when he got there, look at his perspective. Turn back a page to chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me, let's call that one of those lows, the things which have happened to me have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Why was the Apostle Paul content? He was content because he said, you know what, my purpose here is to do God's will. Our problem with lack with our problem with discontentment is when God's purposes don't seem to line up with our purposes. Isn't it ironic that many times we kick and fight for a life of ease and plenty and at the same time cry out to God for him to do something great around us? We think, oh God, I want to be used by you. And he says, well, I'd like to, but you're fighting it. And he brings us into a time of difficulty, and all we can think about is getting out of the difficulty. God brought the Apostle Paul into a place of difficulty, and all he could think about was, boy, there's people who don't know the Lord here. Isn't this great? While we must accept God's provision and purpose, we must still be moving forward spiritually. That's why contentment does not replace spiritual ambition. We might be tempted to look at the word contentment and say, you know what, I'm just going to sit down, sit still, not going to do anything, not going to make any waves, not going to go backward, but you know, I'm just going to sit here. And that is not what God is talking about, and it's certainly not what Paul was talking about, because if we review back to chapter 3, verse 8, we see him say, Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God through faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on 
that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Contentment does not replace spiritual ambition. We should never look at ourselves and think, "Uh, I'm probably mature enough. I'm righteous enough. I know I've got some rough edges, but it really doesn't matter because, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay here. The Apostle Paul was constantly looking into, as James calls it, the mirror of God's Word, and seeing what was needed to be changed. The same should be true of, of a Christian church. We should never look at ourselves and, and take stock and go, you know, let's just hang in here for a while. We should constantly be looking out saying, what does God want us to do? How can we be more godly? How can we be more effective? The Apostle Paul was spiritually ambitious but he was content with the circumstances that God brought him into. These verses describe Paul's effort in ministry. Him, Christ, we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I labor, striving, according to his working which works in me mightily. God wants us to be constantly moving forward and working on those things that need to change and to be more like Christ. But as we refer to to our situation and our circumstances and the things in which we find ourselves, we understand that contentment is only possible in God. And, And what we find here in this verse is one of those little translation things that I hope doesn't discourage you too much. The famous translation from the King James and the New King James says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but it literally reads, I can do all things through the one who strengthens me. And I find that to be a great great verse in the Greek language. There's nothing nothing, uh, particularly sophisticated about the translation. It's just what it says. What I find here then is that all three members of the Trinity empower contentment. First of all, God the Father empowers us to be content. How does he do that? Listen to this verse from Isaiah. Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary, his understanding is unsearchable, He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The Apostle Paul looked at his situation and said, I can't handle this. But God the Father is helping me. God the Father is protecting me. He is going to make it so that I can mount up with wings like eagles. He is going to make it so that I can get through this. God the Father empowers us to be content. In the New Testament, in reference to God the Father, it sounds like this. Let your conduct be without coveting and be content with the things that you have. 
For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter how we feel, whether it's alone or deprived or low, God the Father is with us. Not only God the Father is with us, but Jesus Christ empowers us to be content as well. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Great promise from Christ that if we will stay in him and stay with him, we will grow, we will flourish, we will produce fruit, even though things around us are not perfect. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit empowers us to be content. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through the through his spirit in the inner man. Now, I, I need to, uh, to stop here and, and, and just say, these blessings are for those who know Christ, who are known to God as his children. If you've never believed in Christ as your Savior, you can't claim these blessings. You can't claim the support and empowerment of God. You know, when I uh, get sick... Uh, with some illness that I think requires uh, medical attention, which means probably that I think I need a prescription, I go to the doctor. And uh, if he gives me a prescription, I take it to the pharmacy, and I buy the pills, and I take them home, and I put them on the kitchen counter, and I look at them knowing they could cure me, and after a while I feel better. Is that what you do? No, because the pill won't help you till it gets in you. And then it has the ability to affect what is wrong in your body. Relationship with God is the same way. If you're here today, maybe you've come to church today, maybe you've come many times and you look and say, wow, this looks really great. I like coming here. You know, it feels good here. And I hear good things and... And, and, you know, when I try to do them, it, it helps me a little, but what God says is you need to take him in. And the way you do that is by recognizing that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sin, and that only by faith in him can you come into real relationship with God. And when you do, the Bible says that Christ himself takes up residence in us and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. Then, as a believer, the triune God empowers contentment through some things that we've already learned here in chapter 4. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. You see, when Paul gets to verse 13 and he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, he's already said, I live in a dependent awareness that God is here. And then he said, we have to give all of our concerns through prayer to God. The apostle Paul did that. I'm sure he'd been praying for his physical sustenance the day that Epaphroditus walked in and handed him the offering. And he probably jumped up and did a happy dance. You know, it's not wrong to rejoice when God provides, even if you are living in contentment. Wow, the Lord has provided. 
But he had given his concerns to God. If you are not giving your concerns to God through prayer, you will not be able to live in contentment. You will constantly be worried, anxious, stressed out. Number three, according to verse eight, we've got to discipline our thoughts through the word of God. Whatever things are true and noble and just and so on, we've got to think about those things, not about all the what-ifs of life. And fourthly, we've got to be dedicated to obedience. Verse 9, the things that you learned and received and heard and saw in me do, and the God of peace will be with you. The word content is borrowed from the Greek Stoic philosophers, if you will. Theirs was the most famous usage of it. And they would have defined it something like this. Contentment is a man who is sufficient unto himself for all things and able by the power of his will to resist the force of circumstances. He should be a kind of self-contained superman who can rise above it all in independent self-sufficiency and serenity. That's what the Stoic philosophers taught. But the Apostle Paul isn't saying, I am self-sufficient. He is saying, I am sufficient in him who strengthens me. I think this verse puts it together very well. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you having all sufficiency. That's the same word for contentment. To, to have everything that you need. In other words, God says, I am going to give you the sufficiency you need, the contentment that you need, but it will not come unless you are drawing on me. And that's why the, the last thing that we understand here about contentment is this. Contentment is learned. You notice the Apostle Paul said that in verse 11, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. In verse 12, he says, I know how to be a I know how to be abased, I know how to abound. And he says again, I have learned both to be full and to suffer need. What's interesting is he uses two different words in these verses for, for learning. In verse 11, the root word is the word that comes from the word disciple. Now you remember a disciple in the time of Christ was somebody who literally followed the person that they had discipled themselves to. The people who were the disciples of Christ walked down the road with him, listened to him teach, went on to the next place. They literally followed him around. That's what it meant to be a disciple. The Apostle Paul is saying, I have learned like a disciple. And in verse 12, the, the King James uses the word instructed. The NIV says, learned the secret. It comes from, again, a, a philosophical term, which meant to be initiated into something. Both of these words emphasize learning from others. The Apostle Paul says, I have learned. God has initiated me in. God has helped me. The word disciple is sort of like the word apprentice in the trades. A person will spend time with a journeyman watching what he does and how he does it and learn the skills he can use himself. The apprentice has to practice what the journeyman teaches him. He can't just watch it 
and say, well, I've learned that. No, you learn by doing. The way to become content is to practice what you have learned today instead of whatever it is that you normally do. On the Costco gas pumps, there's a sign with a picture. And the picture is of a gas nozzle. And on the sign, the the gas nozzle is like this, upside down, with a big universal no sign. And then there's words that say, do not use the, the gas nozzle this way, because if you do, the automatic shutoff won't work. Okay? You know, you put it in there and click it on, and when it's done, it shuts off. That won't work upside down. I'm sitting there pumping my gas one day. Here comes a guy right in front of me. Gets that thing out and puts it right straight upside down in his car, because he had to reach across there. And he stood there, and gas went in, and pretty soon, poosh, gas comes out all over the place. And it's like, oh, what in the world? What went wrong? And... It's all I could do to say, hey, buddy, did you notice what that said? Apparently, where he comes from, they don't need any instructions. <laughs> but I just snickered and thought that'll be a good sermon illustration someday. <laughs> you have to follow God's plan to get God's result. You can't just do things any old way you want and then say, how come God's not making me content? God has given us a plan for contentment. And we've been talking about it today. And, and God has given us people who have learned to be content that we can learn from. And we have got to practice what we have learned. The last thing I would share with you today is this. Contentment enhances worship. I already made reference to this a little bit. But the picture we get of Paul is a man rejoicing in difficulty, giving his concerns to God, resting in God's provision and purposes. And then the doorbell rings, and in comes Epaphroditus with a bag of money. I mean, literally, he didn't bring a check, you know. He bought a, brought a bag of money. And what does Paul do? I think he does a happy dance. And I think he reflected on this verse that I read this morning earlier. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turn it, turning. You see, if you're living in discouragement and depression because your life is so hard, then your response to a special blessing will probably be, well, it's about time. But if you're living in God-empowered contentment, even though it's difficult in your life, when God brings a special blessing along, you go, wow, isn't that the greatest thing? Thank the Lord! And as hard as it is for us to grasp, ultimately that is what God is after, is our worship. And so we need to live in contentment so we can worship better. When I was a youth pastor, I was constantly looking for ways to motivate the teens to learn, to participate in learning and that sort of thing. 
And as I meditated on this uh, one time, I came up with a great idea. I said, I'm going to send out Sunday school report cards. And, of course, I didn't bother to tell the teens I was going to send out Sunday school report cards. But I made my own little report card uh, that was similar to little, little pieces of paper. I believe when I was in high school, instead of getting just a report card, we got kind of a piece of paper for each class, and they had a whole bunch of boxes, and they could check the boxes or write comments or whatever. And, and, uh, and so I made boxes like student brings his Bible to class. And... Uh, Student pays attention during class, and student makes a positive contribution to class, and things like that. And so I very, very studiously went through and checked the boxes and wrote their names and all this stuff, and I mailed them to the parents. <laughs> and I don't know if they learned any better, but they sure were uh, giving me feedback the next week. If you got a report card on your Christianity, what would be your grade for contentment be today? We may not all be good at math or science or English, but we can all excel in God's subjects, one of which is contentment. Heavenly Father, help us. We're greedy, we're lazy in our own ways. And so we fight against your provision many times. We confess our covetousness and we say, Lord, help us rest in your provision. You've blessed us so abundantly. Help us to rest in your provision and to look for your blessing as we move forward in Christ. I pray in his name, amen.